1: The Athletic.
2: Hello listeners, sorry to interrupt your show, but we've got a small favour to ask. We're currently doing a bit of a survey to find out more about you, your podcast listening habits and the sort of adverts that are most relevant to you. If you feel like helping, please head to surveymonkey.com slash R slash Athletic Audio UK. That's pretty catchy, so I'll say it one more time. Surveymonkey.com slash R slash Athletic Audio UK. Thank you.
3: It's Pierce In and Pierce Win at Bristol City. Balls out at Col and on the pitch, canaries continue to soar posh look down on all in league one and things are slightly less grim for speed hello listener i'm ali maxwell this is the totally football league show extra time in association with paddy power and joining us as ever is george ellick hi george hello ali why don't you tell me what we've got coming up on today's show because
2: I'm still absolutely reeling from grim for spee, I must say. <laughs> I, had it, I had it even written down in front of me, and I had no idea what it meant until you said it, and I am... Um... <laughs> Yeah, I'm reeling. Um but we have we have a great show. Uh, Get yourself together, man. Show some this, composure. This week, um I have spoken to the Rotherham midfielder, attacking midfielder, goal scorer, January player of the month in the championship, Matt Crooks. We also look ahead to the weekend's fixtures with Paddy Power, but first, we look back at what happened in the midweek with our teams and players of the week.
0: Come on, mate. Keep going. We're almost there. Oh, the legs have gone. Pressing is hard. The weather is so mentally fatigued. All right, lads. Already on the way down, are you? That was a view from the top. <laughs> Liverpool might have peaked under Klopp, but at Paddy Power, if things aren't going your way, we'll give you your money back as a free bet if one leg of your fourfold acca lets you down. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10. Min odds twenty-five on each leg. Online exclusive. Exclude shop bets and enhanced. Match odds. T&C supply. 18+. Begumbleaware.org
4: on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League show Extra Time with George Ellick and Ali Maxwell.
3: Guess what? Yep, there's been some more midweek football in the EFL. Quite a lot of it, in fact, and therefore we have... Plenty of awards to give out to those who did it best, starting as ever in the Championship and starting with our Team of the Week in this division. A tricky one to choose, really. The top four teams all won. Barnsley and Cardiff just won't stop winning and the Bluebirds are now into the playoffs. Down at the bottom, Wickham picked up a much-needed three points against playoff-bound Reading. But our Team of the Week is Bristol City and that's because after such a horrendous Run of form. They went up to Middlesbrough. They were 3 0 up at half time, left 3 1 winners and with all three points. Now, the big question is how much credit do you give here to Nigel Pearson, the manager? Potentially not a lot. Uh, Although he (laughs) had been appointed, he was quick to say that he wasn't really taking the team in this game. He'd mostly left it up to Keith Downing. So, how much credit do you give to the mere presence of Nigel Pearson, the very idea of the man. Well, probably quite a lot, to be honest. Keith Downing himself said Nigel came into the hotel, spoke some wise words before going up to the stands and then dipped into the halftime talk as well. His influence and a fresh pair of eyes has sort of sparked this performance there certainly was a spark where it had been lacking it's fair to say in the 10 previous games Bristol City had won three and lost seven in that time going forward they had been desperate taking less than six shots per game less than two shots on target per game across 10 games no confidence and no cohesion but that had changed on Tuesday up at Borough only six shots yes but all of them in the first half all of them on target three nil up by half time job done. Famara Jeju is the first one to receive Nigel Pearson's sort of um, gold star, I guess. Absolutely impossible to handle when he's in this form and scored two very good goals, thankfully for championship defenders. I think with big Famara, it only seems to happen around once a month, but maybe Pearson could be the one to turn these monthly performances into weekly ones. And if if so, Bristol City can start to look upwards rather than nervously over their shoulder. And I think that's the big... Talking point here, just a huge release of pressure all round Ashton Gate, all round the Bristol City fan base, because after that run, concerns about relegations suddenly turn into the realisation you're actually still in the top half, just about 13 points above the relegation zone. You can focus on the rest of this season, getting to know Nigel Pearson Uh, It's a sort of trial of sorts for him, right? Four months to see if this is going to work going forward. But a lot of positivity around the appointment and what better way to start than this win up at Middlesbrough. No wonder fans, George, were phoning into BBC Radio Bristol singing, we do like to be beside the Teesside, which I really, really enjoyed. So that's team of the week. Who was the best player in the championship in midweek?
2: Well, you had... Quite a lot to choose from in the team. And I struggled with the player, I must say. There was a moment where I thought for a second maybe David Stockdale could be player of the midweek in both League Two and the Championship within the same month for his performance in goal for Wickham as they won 1-0 at home against Reading. But I watched the game back and whilst he made a couple of good saves, he didn't really deserve it. The Cardiff result was obviously eye-catching with them moving up into sixth, but again, more of a team performance. So I'm looking to Barnsley who continue to march their way up towards the playoffs. They're now in eighth position after beating Stoke, another side looking to do the same 2-0. And I'm going to give it to Callum Styles. Now, the main reason why I'm giving it to Callum Styles is because Callum Styles did what Callum Styles does and scored an incredible goal and then ran off like the way that (laughs) I would run off if I scored an incredible goal in the championship. And it was so him, you know, getting being the first to a loose board as it comes out of the area moving onto his left foot and hitting an absolutely beautiful strike across the keeper into the into the far right hand corner. And this is what stars is all about and, and key to him. You know, he's a left playing as a left wing back wide in a 3-4-3 who you know previously has been a central midfield player as well. He has so many different attacking and defensive capabilities that make him such an important player for this Barnsley side and I think in a way he encapsulates exactly what this Barnsley side is because they are fun to watch they play with incredible energy they are totally fearless and that goal of styles in itself showed exactly what they are and in many ways they're kind of the antithesis of Stoke who are solid who are fairly agricultural can we say who lack someone with this twinkle and sparkle that styles provides for Barnsley on the left hand side he's, he's also very very capable defensively you look at his stats from the game you know he won all four of his of his aerial duels you know despite not being a particularly tall player or particularly good in the air he's very very combative as well Um, when when out of possession and when when challenging players on, on the ground too he's just mm. a beautiful player to watch he's someone that we have, um, have, have slightly fallen for in over the course <laughs> of this season and I think um, you know Barnsley's Unlikely march towards the Premier League under Valerian Ishmael may come up a little bit short. They're looking like they could well, with more performances like this, having won four in a row, they could get into, they could continue their way into the playoffs. But Styles have been a key part of that and um, and they're going to have their work cut out keeping him for next season. So well done, Callan Styles, the championship midweek player of the week.
3: The Berry Baggio, as they call him. Yeah, you're not wrong. We do fall quickly and we fall hard I think it's fair to say and and that's very much the case for Styles a breakout star of this championship season the League One team of the week is also the team at the very top of League One all change at the top Lincoln ousted Peterborough now top of the pile and that is because they've won five games in a row in midweek they went to Plymouth Argyle And they won 3-0 just as they had against AFC Wimbledon on the weekend. And no one really does that, George, at home park, at Argyle, under Ryan Lowe. There was one completely disastrous 4-0 defeat to Rochdale earlier in in the season. A, A freak result, you have to say. But otherwise, no one has gone to Argyle and scored three goals or more without reply. The first thing you do when... You're checking the score of a Tuesday evening. You see that Posh have scored three goals. You click to see who scored and you think, Clark Harris, smodix Siriki Dembele. And as the case was on Tuesday night, you see, yep, yeah, first goal, Sammy smodix Second goal, Johnson Clark Harris, top scorer in the league. Third goal, Dembele assist. Um, and, it, you know, it's sometimes talking about Peter Peterborough You you, you are wary of just talking about those three because this is a high-functioning, high-performing team in all facets and it's their second clean sheet in a row. It's their third in five games. But this is what takes them from good sides to the the side at the top of the table, these three players who have contributed to so many goals, who dovetail so perfectly well. And I think Darren Ferguson deserves credit for setting his team up in a way that really gets the best out of these players, that allows them to focus on doing deadly damage, as the case was on Tuesday and has been so often, and maybe taking off a little bit of defensive responsibility as well, where they might not thrive. But just to give credit to someone else as well. Joe Ward, the right wing back for um, Peterborough, has been a hugely important and underrated part of of this side. His quality on the ball uh, and his delivery is vital. He got his 10th assist of the season in this game, but his versatility is a hugely underrated weapon as well. On the weekend, for example, they started in a 3-4-1-2 with him at right wing back. Ferguson didn't like what he saw in the first half and it's Ward's ability to play different positions down the right side that allowed them to switch it up go four-two-three-one, 2 3 one and it was that tactical switch which helped them win that game so Ward deserves a ton of credit so does Darren Ferguson and that front three as well the interesting thing now is that Posh are there to be shot at they have the toughest run in of any side in the promotion picture so they'll have to do it the hard way but certainly based on recent form and the players at their disposal all of them fit as well in firing it's the rest of the league I think that should fear our team of the week Peterborough not the other way round. League One Player of the Week, George, an easy choice? Uh, Not really,
2: uh, but I think so much time is spent by ourselves and in the media criticising what's going on at Ipswich Town, and rightly so. Um, I'm not sitting here by any stretch saying they they, they get a harsh run, but I think when things are going right, we have to doff our cap and say, fair enough, because it's been... A good week for Ipswich, for for Paul Lambert's side. Um, I watched their game on the weekend against Oxford, and they were comfortably the better side against a team who are amongst the best, well, at least at that time, were, were the form team in the division over the stretch of 10 or so games. Ipswich had the better of the chances in that game, and certainly more of them, and were probably unlucky to come away with just the one point. They then went to Hull, another team chasing promotion, and did a job on them. And the, the goal scorer, James Norwood, is the midweek player of in league 1 and he's a guy who you know when he arrived at Ipswich it seemed impossible that he would have the kind of time there that he that he has been having it seemed perplexing that a guy who plays the way that Norwood does could be involved in a side who are so sterile because Norwood is a he's he's a you know a, a total bundle of physical energy he's somebody who never stops running he is running and his physicality probably means sometimes he's playing right on the edge. And he's a guy who gets off shots as if they're going out of fashion. You know, he will happily shoot from absolutely anywhere. It's not something that I'm necessarily a massive fan of in his game. But at Tranmere, it led to plenty of goals. And he was someone who, you know, making the, the pretty small step up, I guess, from being incredibly prolific at, at League Two level. For a side at Tranmere who didn't create a great deal under Mickey Mellon, it felt like at Ipswich, it was, it was a pretty good fit. Last season he did okay. He was pretty reliant on penalties for goals, but this campaign, he's been mainly poor and mainly out of the team. He started just seven games this season, seven times coming off the bench. But his return to the starting lineup seems to have coincided with an improvement for Ipswich. You know he he started, he started three of their last four games, having not started very much at all before that. The first one was against Peterborough away from home, where he put them ahead 1-0. He then came off at half-time, which presumably must have been a fitness issue, and they went on to lose the game 2-1. He then came off the bench against Northampton next time. He started against Oxford and was very lively throughout. His goal early on in the whole game was a typical James Norwood goal, peeling off the last man, hitting the ball first time as the ball came over his shoulder. Hard low into the back of the net he created two other chances for himself in the game as well which is something that he can do you know he's not a goal scorer who relies on service he's happy to drop deep drive at goal and get his shots off which he did twice I think just Ipswich with James Norwood leading the line and playing up front are a much better team than they are without him maybe the arrival of Troy Parrott on loan in January has done something to show him that he needs to do more to get into the side but whatever it is it's working and he's making Ipswich better for it Yeah, whilst I'm sure Ipswich fans are still not too happy with the goings on at their club, and are still by in no means um, forgiving of of the manager, it's been a good week, and Norwood's been at the centre of it.
3: League Two was was really really difficult. I mean, one of the headline news, or one of the headline pieces of news from League Two in midweek was at the bottom three, who have looked all but cut off from the rest of the division. All won and we'll all be heading into the weekend full of confidence, which is very exciting uh, and very surprising as well for all three to win. But none of them are our team of the week. Uh, Tramia Rovers went to Carlisle and left with a a 3-2 win, which was hugely impressive. There were some other uh, impressive candidates. And uh, sometimes it's just worth remembering that uh, we're here to bring you analysis of the EFL and some entertainment as well. And and far be it for me to suggest that was the only reason for me choosing Morecambe FC as our Team of the Week, because I'll argue to the hilt that they deserve it just based on the result, which was a a 2-1 win over Salford City. They were 1-0 down, heading into injury time. And this result, if it had finished 1-0 to Salford, would have seen Salford City leap over Morecambe, and Morecambe drop out of the playoffs, and it would have meant a pretty poor run of form was extended. Instead, I'm not going to say much here. I'm mainly going to let the Morecambe eye-follow commentators do most of the work. We pick up in the 94th minute, 1-0 to Salford. Morecambe have a corner and the commentators have been fuming at the time-wasting tactics employed by Salford.
0: No, it's not. It's just not.
5: Every time he's he's taken exactly the same corner and they've dealt with it.
2: Hendry is looking round as if, should I take it? It's decent.
5: Yeah! yeah! Yes! Hits the bar. Yes! bar. Getting! Down, Carlos. No more than we
2: deserve. Sorry, I went mental then. No more you, than we deserve.
5: Probably not the audio off. <laughs> <laughs>
3: a brilliant way to end any game, I'm sure you'll agree, and a, a well earned point, clearly, uh, the opinion of the Morkham I follow commentators. But that time wasting from Salford and the celebrations for the equaliser mean that in the next clip, we're still going. It's the 96th minute now. Hendry. Hendry gets it in low and hard. Oh! is kill there oh it's there. A, oh, it a great save comes out to tombs tomb shoots low and out yeah 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 that's it come on jilly yes! <laughs> <on, get> <laughs> <laughs> absolute scenes in Morecambe and not content with that injury time turnaround. The referee decides to play a little longer to the extent that Salford have a free kick in the 97th minute, sorry, 98th minute. 97.45 is on the clock as Salford swing the ball in and this really is the icing on the cake for these commentators. It's chipped in, no, it's gone. (laughs) No! (laughs) No! He's given a foul. A disallowed goal, a hilarious reaction, uh, a huge, huge smile on my face. That really, really did make my midweek. And back to back wins now for Morecambe. The ghost of Adam Phillips plucked away from them on deadline day and sent down the road to Accrington might finally have been put to bed and very much in the warm embrace of the playoff places instead of dropping out uh, of them. And I would just say, Morecambe. Their media team do a magnificent job creating what I think is some of the best content uh, across the whole EFL. Certainly their YouTube channel is brilliant, the access that they get. And the, the humour that they that they produce is, is brilliant. This was, uh, well, very much part of that theme. So thank you to the Morecambe I Follow commentators. Morecambe, our Team of the Week in League Two. George, I mentioned there were quite a lot of, of teams who were highly commended, shall we say. Um, who was the best player in in the fourth tier in midweek?
2: Yeah, I'm just realizing that I am really smitten with strikers called James in the EFL because my <laughs> my midweek player uh, of League Two is James Vaughan of Tranmere. And I'll get on to why in a second. But before I do, for anybody who hasn't watched the highlights of Forest Green 1, South End 3, should really go back and do so because the third South End goal is. An incredible strike. It's so far out that when you're watching it, you almost think to yourself, as Nathan Ferguson is about to strike it, please don't shoot from there, even when you know it's gonna go in. Like, why else would somebody have sent me this clip of a South End player shooting from 40 yards? It absolutely flies into the top left-hand <laughs> corner. It's such a pure hit. And so Nathan Ferguson almost deserves it for that alone, because also a really important three points for South End, especially with all the teams towards the bottom doing fairly well in League Two. But I think the most significant result in League 2 this midweek has to be Tranmere going up to Carlisle and beating them 3-2. You know, again, taking points off Carlisle, who's, you know, we looked to them as being basically title favourites uh, in eighth position a couple of weeks ago because of all their games in hand. But a couple of poor results now, winless in four, and Tranmere really cementing themselves towards the top, especially with Forest Green losing. Now just four points off top spot, two games in hand on Cambridge. And James Vaughan, certainly the the key player here for it, getting the two goals from 2-1 down in order to win the game. The first one was fortuitous. We have to say that it was effectively a kind of hopeful ball into the box, which seemed to evade everybody and go in. But Vaughan's performance throughout the game was about way more than his goals. He is such a live wire for this Chanmere side and we talk about how many experienced players they've got I mean David Nugent came off the bench to provide the assist for a second goal which was a fairly easy tap-in but Vaughan's performances are about are way more than about his goals he is a, a player who probably should be playing in League 2 whose energy and his ability to move into the channels if you look at the first goal it's him who creates the opening in order to get the ball he picks up the, picks up the ball on the left-hand side exchanges a couple of passes before delivering it in and Tranmere under Keith Hill have been so much improved than they were under, under Mike Jackson. And if they are to get back into League One at the first time of asking, it's going to be Vaughan who is essential to that. So James Vaughan, the League Two
3: player of the midweek. Assist, Nugent, goal, Vaughan. was great to see uh, that winning goal. Hey, also, James Vaughan, League Two player of the week, striker. James Norwood, League One player of the week, striker. Just spare a thought for Luton's James Collins, championship striker called James, who is sitting at home wondering why and when George Ellick will notice him and give him (laughs) and give him a gong. Uh, There was some some managerial news uh, in League Two in midweek. George, the tone of my voice turns somber to tell you that Colchester United sacked their manager, Steve Ball. And it's one of them, isn't it, where no one was particularly surprised. I think it's hard to argue that he didn't get uh, a pretty fair crack of the whip to, to turn things around. Absolutely. And this
2: is not a surprise where Colchester are on the table now. You know, you look at the the League Two table, they are in twenty-first position. They still have a fair gap between them and the drop zone, seven points, but the way they're playing, the the rate at which they're picking up points, which I think is five points in the last twenty odd games, means that that's something has to improve or they're gonna end up in that zone, especially with South End Barrow and Grimsby all picking up points recently. Um, And this is, I'm afraid to say it, but this is a victory for those who like to look at underlying data in order to predict how teams are going to fare. Because even when Colchester were up, you know, not far off the playoffs a few months ago, their XG data was, you know... below the floor they were they were consistently one of the worst teams in the division stacking up on the data stacking up on the quality of chances they were creating and giving up in every game and we said the performances have to improve or they are going to fall down the table and that is exactly what's happened it's hard to really point the finger at anybody else given they were playoff semi-finalists last season with pretty much the same um, side you look at the attacking players they've got at their disposal now it's still Poku it's still Brown it's still um, well, it's, it's nooble again after bringing him back in January. And they have the players. You have to think that a capable manager would be able to get them well clear of the teams towards the bottom of the table. So it's probably the right time to act. It would have looked incredibly harsh to sack him a couple of months ago, even if the numbers suggested this was going to happen. Be interested to see who, who does come in. At the moment, Wayne Brown is the caretaker manager and you feel like just a slight improvement. A couple of victories could see him get the job full time. But it was necessary, sadly, for, for Steve Ball because, um, in their current guys, I think Hodgson are the worst team in the EFL.
3: Right, that is the midweek action wrapped up then. And next, a little break from the on pitch stuff before we preview the weekend. We're talking to Miller Man, Matt Crooks. Looking for an assist with your credit
1: card but can't get a hold of anyone? Well, luckily, with 24 7 US based live customer service from Discover,
4: part of the Athletic Podcast Network.
3: Now it's time for this week's interview. George had the chance to catch up with Miller's midfielder and Championship Player of the Month for January, Matt Crooks, all about life at Rotherham, playing under Paul Warne and his charitable work as well.
2: Great to be joined by you today, Matt. And we'll start off by chatting about... The season with Rotherham so far and what's left still to go as well. 16 games left and at the moment you find yourselves just in the drop zone, albeit with games in hand on some of those above you. What's the mood like in the dressing room at the moment? Are you guys still pretty confident you can do what you need to to stay in the division?
5: Yeah, I think the beliefs are in the squad and in the team. It's been a strange couple of weeks, really. I think if you'd have had this meeting last week, uh, I'd have probably said we were 100% sky high, like confidence absolutely flying, and then we've played uh, Norwich, Bournemouth and then that's Forest last night we've lost all three um, obviously it was always going to be tough against Norwich and Bournemouth Uh the two very good sides in the division and we knew it would be tough to get a result away from home uh, both times we tried and we didn't and then we just seemed to be a bit flat last night against Forest and, and lost 1-0 again so that's 3-1 the losses on the trot but like I say, we've got games in hand there's still a long way to go and um, yeah I think the lads have got full confidence that um, if we do play to our capabilities that to stay in the league is is, is definitely possible.
2: It's interesting because not often do teams who are down towards the bottom end of the table get quite a lot of plaudits from both opposition fans, opposition managers, neutrals, but everybody who sees your team play, sees your other in play, always comes out of it. You know, complimenting the intensity that you play with, how difficult you make it for the opposition to play their game. I mean, how does this team differ to the one that you joined in terms of that style back in 2019 when you got relegated from that league?
5: I think it's quite similar, really. The, the ta- obviously the tactics are exactly the same. It's not changed much uh, on that on that front. Uh, obviously, it's the same management team. So I think the style of, of play is still the same. I think possibly we've got a better physical presence throughout the, the throughout the squad, and maybe possibly a bit more championship experience compared to last time. But said, tactics are, are pretty much uh, the same as last time.
2: Do you think having that experience of being relegated, and obviously that was once a couple of years ago, but this is the third time of trying to stay in the league. Do you think that sets you know, both the manager and, and the, the squad of players who are there previously in better stead to try and improve this time around?
5: Well, I think it has to. It's, it's experience that you can uh, lean on and, and try and use it to 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 an advantage. Like like I say, we found ourselves in a similar predicament again. It's something that we've, we've been there before. We know we know what this feeling is like and the pressure that comes with it, and we know that every game is massive now, no matter who we're playing against. So you know, we need to pick up points and pick them up quickly.
2: Paul Warren is a very popular figure, both at Rotherham and across the EFL as well. Um, you know, we, We've seen how his management style, both on and off the pitch, maybe isn't quite the same as what we'd expect from EFL managers. How has it been playing under him for the last couple of years and how important is it to the club to ensure that they keep hold of him no matter what league you're playing in next season?
5: Yeah, I could tell from when I first signed it, it was a bit different to what I'd been uh, handed previously before in terms of managers, I met him the night before I did my um, but that night before I signed in medical, and he was basically showing me how the team wanted to play and what he saw me bringing to the team. and I was sat in my hotel room really ready to sign, and he, I got a text off him and it just said, If when I'm, gonna, I'm not going to pressure to sign, if you don't want to do it, you can back out, which I thought was a bit weird because I was signing <laughs> from the League <laughs> Two team <laughs> going up to the Championship, so I took it, was a bit strange. Um, no, I was. <laughs> he's quite an emotional fella and he, he tries to connect it with his players on a on a more personal level uh, compared to other managers and um, I think all the players buy into that and uh, the group itself are a very close bunch and we work for each other day in, day out and it's not often that you find a, a team with every single one is such a good human being and the gaffer prides himself on that, I think um, his management style is, is massive on that so it is something totally different and even in pre season, like talking about your families and your experiences throughout your life and what you've been through to to get to where you are now. And we have a poster in our change rooms home and away. just you know, we we all sent a picture in of it says this is our why. This is your why. Sorry, it's a picture of who your why is. Um so it's good to get yeah, he's good on that side of things, the the emotional, the emotional side.
2: You yourself have had a brilliant season so far individually. You scored six goals in the league, two assists. You were January player of the month as well. Um in, in terms of I was reading the press release when it was announced you were player of the month. And before your quotes, it says not always easy in the on the eye, that I thought was a bit harsh on your on your playing style. But you are, you know, you're six foot five player playing 10 it's not something we normally see your, your manager yeah. Paul Warden once described to you as a, as a mobile wardrobe on legs I mean it must be quite annoying to get this kind of feedback yeah. on your playing style especially when you're doing such good things
5: uh, yeah I mean it's I guess because I'm so big and I don't know, you know it seems to come across that not not so nice to look at so <laughs> I I think the fans are happy that they're not in at the minute I apologise to anyone that sees me on their iFollow follow and they've got to watch me play <laughs> um, but no I was, was just they just comment out, they just get on my game and enjoy my football and it's the way I've always played and if I'm successful with it then I'll continue to, continue to do it. I probably could have scored a few more goals this season and just a couple of chances where I could have possibly put them away but overall over the course of the season so far I'm, I'm relatively happy but um, I know there's more to be done and I know I can still improve and I'm trying to improve every day so my main target is to just get better and, and keep scoring goals because that is something that I I enjoy doing, obviously, as well as a team winner.
2: 2020 was a difficult year for, for lots of people for various reasons, but none more so than yourself um, after the passing of your best mate, Jordan Sinnott, um, after a serious assault last January. Uh, it's remarkable for any of us who, you know, who followed that story and have followed your career afterwards to see how you continued to go from strength to strength. So, I mean, how much has football been a part of your ability to cope with what you've been
1: through?
5: Yeah, I think it was two things, really. It was the the shirts that we did, the Shirts Appeal, uh, which amassed over 900 shirts and then just going to football every day. I didn't really speak to anyone uh, and I probably wasn't as sociable as I usually am. But uh, for me, on a, on a personal level, it was just nice to go in somewhere and be able to train or play for 90 minutes and just kind of not think about it and then just be a bit of a release from what was going on outside of football.
2: You spoke about the manager and how he looks to connect emotionally with the players and get you connecting with each other. Um, I remember mm. interviewing Richard Wood a couple of years ago and he told me about how the manager would get all players in one meeting to stand up and, and give a speech on what mattered to them the most. Um, and Richard Wood just said that you know the the bond that that created between you was so important. Having gone through this, was it pretty special for you to be able to to lean on and to have that relationship with your fellow professionals at the club, given what you were going through.
5: Yeah, definitely. Especially Woody. I mean, Woody knew him as well. So it was kind of someone that I could turn to and speak to if I, if I did need to speak to anyone. Probably the person I spoke to most, which is a bit surreal really looking back, because he's known as like the, the nasty one, Which Richard Barker, the assistant manager. Um, obviously, his brother passed away about a month before he committed suicide. So we've kind of gone through um, two... Really difficult situations, and it was someone I could just talk to, and I knew that he was kind of he knew how I, how I felt. Um, so it was it was nice to know that it was just someone there who could who could just lean on every now. and then. You're
2: currently raising awareness for the Jordan Sinnott Foundation set up in his memory. So can you tell us and the listener a little bit about that?
5: Yeah, pretty pretty soon after a couple of days after, I said to my girlfriend that I'd, uh, I want to set something up. I know it sounds Awful, but you hear about so many people passing away and well known people, and it kind of just in a couple of weeks' time it's almost forgotten about, and the names aren't really brought up again. And that's one thing that I really want to happen with Jordan. Um, He meant too much to me and too too much to other people um, for it to just be forgotten, and and his name not to be carried on, and his personality and the life that he led not to be remembered. So we had a little chat and we thought about ways that we could do it, and we thought the charity would have be a good start to to do something the charity itself obviously is helping young kids through through sporting activities um and it's kind of like a, a perfect marriage of his personality and his his love for sports as well so if we can help people through him even though he's not here and bring smiles to faces which is what it's all about and what he was so good at then it'd be successful for me and i'd, I'd feel like i've done him proud and and done him done his name uh the right, the right honorable thing. So uh, we're doing that at the minute. It's difficult doing sporting activities during lockdown because everything's kind of on the back burner, but we've been able to help homeless people. Uh, we've just done a hundreds of pounds um, worth of, it's like an Amazon wishlist for Bluebell Wood in Rotherham. Uh, we've helped the food banks in Huddersfield and we've just done a over 2,000 pound grant for the Geyser Community Foundation. Uh, which is where he was brought up pretty much in the team that he played for. So it's good to to finally get started and, and help people uh, through him, really. And like I say, as many people as we can help, then it's it's fantastic. And I just hope that we're doing them proud.
2: Absolutely. An amazing tribute and an incredible cause as well. And you're an inspiration to many, Matt, and I'm sure people listening will agree. So so thanks a lot for joining us and best of luck for the rest of the season to both you and, uh, and other
5: no, nice. thank
3: you. That was Matt Crooks in conversation with George. There, George, a couple of things to, to pick up on. Firstly, you know, leaving aside what he is known for and currently doing very well, which is playing football. What an incredibly tough year personally for him, and um, you know, speaking very bravely and openly about it, and it it hammers home the importance of, of talking. There are so many ways of coping with grief uh, and other mental health problems and what works for one person doesn't always work for another. But, you know, I've been through similar sorts of things to that. And my advice is always that talking to those close to you, talking to those with similar experiences can offer so much support for you, both in the short, but especially in the long term as well. And, you know, to, to be able to help others using Jordan Sinnott's legacy as well, as Matt and so many others are doing, is is absolutely fantastic. So that that's one of the main things I'll take away from your chat with him. But but it's always fascinating, you know, going back to football to hear about Paul Warren, his leadership style, George. And, you know, Matt Crick said himself, he's a very emotional guy. And it it's funny how they're kind of reflected in his image on the pitch, a very high intensity team, aren't they? And they do experience highs and lows in a footballing sense. At the moment, they are having a pretty tough time, I think it's fair to say.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, as I kind of mentioned in the interview, it, it's always stuck with me from when I spoke to, to Richard Wood, the captain there, about this um, management style, or man management style, I should say, of, of Paul Warren. How that must just be totally transformative in terms of everything about a football club. You know, we can look at the EFL right now and say that how many teams, I mean, 20, 25 teams look to be in some kind of chaos. And you feel like the way that Paul will manage and, and you can hear it from what Matt's saying there, the way that Paul will manages this club, manages his players, manages the group means that even if things are going badly on the pitch, even if they're not getting the results they deserve, big, at that level of, of, of chaos just can't really happen when you've got such a united bunch, when you've got players who can look at every single other player in their dressing room and know their deepest secrets, know what drives them, know what inspires them to be great, knows what their biggest fears are. And, you know, Matt went through something that... Um, that hopefully you know not many people have to go through. And I and I went off off script, I guess, um at the end, where when I said that he was inspiration, I meant it because I was listening to him thinking, Christ, if I'm ever in this kind of situation, I'm gonna think back to this conversation and use it as a means to turn something terrible into something positive. Yeah, and, and and as you say, they their performances on the pitch reflect exactly that because they are a side who even when they're when they're beaten, y- you can be pretty sure that no team comes away from a game against Rotherham thinking, right, well that was an easy three points. Um, you think back to the game against Derby a couple of weeks ago where Derby were the better side throughout the throughout the game and Rotherham ended up winning 3-0 with three goals in the last five minutes. Again, I don't think there are many sides who could do that, many sides who could continue believing despite basically being under the cosh for 85 minutes in a game against an informed side. So, I mean, I, I find myself, and you know, except for my supporting one team in League One, I, I try and be as impartial as possible. Um, and it's hard when you when you interview managers or players, it's generally hard to, to come away not hoping that they improve. You know, I, I really enjoyed our chat on this podcast with Brian Barry Murphy at Rochdale a few weeks ago, and I found myself kind of looking at their results, hoping that they improve a bit. But with Rotherham, it's not just talking to Matt, it, it's everything I know about the club makes me root for them, because it feels like they're doing things the right way, it would be it would feel incredibly unfair if they had their third consecutive relegation from the championship, given the way that they run and the way that they try and play and and everything with the club. So um, yeah, I I really enjoy speaking to Matt. I think it's um, an interesting insight into one of the most interesting clubs at the moment in the, in the three leagues.
3: Yeah. Their next game's against Reading, so it's not getting any easier for them. Brentford, Watford uh, and Nigel Pearson's revitalised Bristol city to come next month as well. And Oh, Look at that. Speaking of upcoming fixtures, and that segue (laughs) is why they pay me the middling bucks. Uh, We're talking about this coming weekend next in association with Paddy Power.
1: This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham.
4: This is the Totally Football League Show Extra Time, part of the Athletic Podcast Network.
3: Yes, it's weekend preview time. We always end with some previews, one for each league. And in the Championship this weekend, this Friday, to be more specific, George, at Pride Park, there is no bigger match.
2: No, that isn't Friday night under the lights. It is, of course, Derby against Nottingham Forest. A massive rivalry that's seen a couple of one-all draws in its most recent additions. But if it could have got any tastier, I think it did in the game last July, where, of course, Derby, 10-man Derby, grabbed a very, very, very late goal to further dent Forest's playoff hopes. Um, But here, you know, I think if you told us back then... That the two managers for this game, um, I don't think we'd have been too surprised to hear that Wayne Rooney was in charge of Derby, but certainly Chris Houghton's appointment at Forest would have been a bit of a surprise with Sabri Lamucci not being too far into an all new deal. But Rooney's Derby continued to go from strength to strength. They've won six of their last eight games. They've won all three of their games at home in that run as well. Interestingly, um, you know, whilst a lot of the the talk around around when Rooney's derby is how he's improved them. But at the time when Rooney took charge, it was the same time that Christian Bierlich returned to full fitness and came back into the side. So there was this question about, is it Rooney or is it just the fact that Derby have maybe one of the best, well, definitely one of the best centre midfielders in the championship suddenly coming into their side and dominating games. I think when Bierlich got injured against Bristol City back at the end of January, I probably would have leaned towards the latter would have thought the Bielik's absence would be a massive pain for Derby. It hasn't really been the case. They've continued to be very, very good. Shinny is a key creative force in midfield. And if you watch the game back... midweek the 2-0 win over Huddersfield. You can see that both in terms of him nearly scoring from a corner which leads to the first goal and generally just running the show in the middle of the park. Bielik's absence also has opened um, the way for Max Bird to come in come back into the side. Bird had an incredible start to the season last season really towards the back end of the campaign Say that he thought Bird was the first name on the team sheet for, for Derby despite being a teenage centre midfielder. He's still struggling for form there's no you know, I'm not sitting here saying that we're seeing the same Max Bird that we saw from last season, but I think getting minutes for him will be a key part of this. And that's what's interesting for me about this Derby side, is you've got players like Bird, like Jason Knight, like Lee Buchanan, who will understand more than others just what this Derby means. I mean, I know it's a bit of a football manager cliche, but often often you're asked how much having homegrown players can be important in games like this. And I, and I think you can't underestimate how big that is, especially when there aren't fans there. So I think that could give Derby a bit of an edge. But certainly if I was Chris Hughton coming to this game, I would know that just like his own side, they might look at their lowly positions in the table and and, and to others might look like one of the poorest teams in the league. That is not the case. One other player to watch out for, and I think he will relish the occasion, is the 34-year-old Colin Kazim Richards, who is just a battering ram up front with loads of quality as well. Every part of his game makes Derby stronger. He holds up the ball brilliantly. He drops deep and creates so well. Look at the ball through to um, to Martin Waghorn for his first goal in 18 appearances, um, which could be a key factor as well with him back in amongst the goals. Kazim Richards proving to be one of the shrewdest pickups, I think, in the championship this season. And Derby come into this in pretty good form.
3: Well, I'm bang up for this one. And to be honest, I think your analysis was terrible. I think you are scum. I, I actually find your very existence, George, an insult to me and to my family. I'm representing Nottingham Forest in this preview and I'm taking a different approach to your more measured analysis. I'm flying through the back of you two minutes in, ready to <laughs> stick it right up you and Wayne Rooney's Derby County. You know, all of that stuff is, is fascinating, it's interesting, isn't it? But it means nothing because Chris Hughton takes over Nottingham Forest and has to sift through the wreckage left behind by Sabri Lamucci. Not all Sabri Lamucci's fault, I think it's fair to say. And Hewton started slowly. Uh, First 14 games, just three wins, four draws and seven defeats. But the next 14 games, this is Chris Houghton. This is what everyone expected to happen when he was appointed. And it is happening. Seven wins in 14, five draws, just two defeats this forest side are very difficult to beat not unlike the rams their counterparts their rivals in fact only three teams have picked up more points than forest since mid-december so they're in good form based mostly on defensive solidity seven goals conceded in 14 games that is going to get you where you want to be they've only scored 16 in 14 so even if i am representing the red corner here it would be wrong for me to suggest that they are purring going forward that they are consistently creating and taking a ton of chances and to be honest to be serious I'm not expecting a, a rampant display from Forrest. I think it'll be a low-scoring game, most likely decided by a set-piece goal, maybe a, 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 a flash of quality from a Kazim Richards or from one of Forrest's talented players. The only thing I'm absolutely sure of is that Ryan Yates is going to absolutely smash Jason Knight <laughs> if they come across each other in a 50-50. Um, for more analysis of this game and um, what a smashing game it is in the Championship on Friday night, over on the Two Stars podcast, which is the Athletics Nottingham Forest pod, they got Ryan Conway, who's the Derby correspondent for the Athletic, to tell them what he thinks is going to happen and it all got pretty
0: lively. All right, final question. I'm uh, going to have to ask you for a prediction, please. 5
2: nil. <laughs> Forests don't normally score that many. <laughs> um, I I I think Derby will win. There's there's just a, a weird professionalism about them. <laughs> sort of this this almost um, early two thousands German
3: efficiency. So, yeah, I mean, tricky one to call definitively. I think it's fair to say Paddy Power's odds certainly reflect that. Derby 6-4 to favourites, Nottingham Forest 2-1 to one, and the draw 2-1 to one as well. If you want to hear the whole chat, more chat on this, go over to the Two Stars feed at the end of this show. No sooner, certainly, because we've got plenty more to come. Previewing a game next up in League One, George, we talked about how ridiculously tight this relegation battle is in League One. Basically, seven teams involved, barely any points between them this weekend. Rochdale host Burton.
2: And they look like they might be passing each other in the league table um, fairly soon if Rochdale don't get a grip on things. Burton are the favourites here, 7-5 to five away at Rochdale. Rochdale 17-10, the to to draw 12-5 with Paddy Power. What is going on with Rochdale. Like we, you know, everybody knows and has been calling them the entertainers of the EFL. The the goals for and the goals against records are well documented. Under Brian Barry Murphy, the the style of football we spoke about with him on the podcast, where it was all about giving players the freedom to play, concentrating on the process, you know, all of this stuff, it's vanished into thin air. Their last three games, they have lost one nil, nil nil, and nil nil. They've mustered five and four shots in their two away games against Blackpool and Northampton. I'm a little bit confused as to what's going on here. Like, is this a deliberate attempt by Brian Barry Murphy to say, right, we are conceding way too many chances. Let's go completely against what we normally do and and give away the ball. Let, uh, let the opposition have it and try and spring them on the counter. If that's what they're doing, it's not really working because they aren't creating too many opportunities themselves. So I'm concerned for this Rochdale team. I think... They rightly came in for some criticism for their style of football before. Um, you know, I I spoke on BBC Radio Oxford after Oxford's game against them, which ended 4-3 only a few weeks ago. And the general consensus from the ex-pros who were on that show was y- you can't do this. You know, you cannot play in this way where you're happy to concede goals because it's the right way to play. I don't know if Brian Barry Murphy is overcorrecting. I don't know if the players are not buying into his methods anymore, but something has definitely changed. And in my opinion, they've got a much better chance of staying up if they go back to that idea previously of, right, well, we're just going to try and score more goals than we concede, because at the moment they are sinking without a trace.
3: They're up against a Burton Albion side, who I can't imagine we've seen many more confident, positive teams at the bottom of a league table with what 15 16 games to go and it's been quite the turnaround and it is Genuinely exciting. On on the 1st of February, just after a very busy transfer window closed, Burton had 16 points from 24 matches and were 7 points from safety. Since then, they've won 3 out of 4. They're now just 3 points from safety. These brewers, drunk on pints of Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, losing (laughs) all their attacking inhibitions. That attacking threat much improved with some Wow, Some new personnel involved. Johnny Smith is a very direct winger that I like a lot. They plucked a a striker from non-league called Mike Fondop and he scored his first goal in midweek. Looks like a really um, physical target man type and the the Charlton centre-backs could not bring him down, basically. But it is at the back where they've made the biggest improvement. They went from under Jake Buxton conceding three, four, sometimes five in a game to just zeros and ones under Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, I think his assistant manager, Dino Mamria, deserves some credit as well. They have made an amazing, amazing start. And clearly, because of that, they head into this game the more confident team. And I would say, certainly based on recent evidence, the more high-performing team. So if this goes to form, the ridiculousness of the League One relegation scrap means that if Burton win here, they'll go level on points with a team in Rochdale who start the game six places above them in the league table. Um, There's another big game towards the bottom of League One, Northampton against Swindon. So that should be where your focus is in League One this weekend.
2: Into League Two now, where one of the form sides in the division, Bolton, take on a Barrow team who are... A different proposition under manager Rob Kelly, which we'll get into. Bolton the favourites at 8-11 with Paddy Power, the draw 5-2, to Barrow 15-4. And Ali, are Bolton now good?
3: Mm, yes, they are better. Bolton are better, George. Four wins in a row for them, five wins in six. There's something just holding me back saying they are now one of the best teams in the division. To be honest, I'm not sure any team in League Two really deserves that mantle at the moment. It, it feels like, if you look at the league table especially, none of them really want to be the ones to to sort of grab the ball by the horns and, and give themselves what could be a, a huge promotion this year because from Cambridge on 52 in first, to, well, Carlisle, you'd say, in 10th on 43, nine points separating the top 10 teams and obviously a ton of different uh, numbers of games played as well, which further muddies the water. Now, those who picked Bolton to coast to the league title preseason would probably say that this run of form was inevitable, but I'm not sure... <laughs> That would be true. I think Everett deserves a lot of credit. The consistency of his side has improved markedly since the early season. Um, they, they just had a, an inconsistent few months, didn't they? But the January additions have made a great impact. Their recent wins have been a mixture of comfortable and some of them a little scrappy as well. But the key thing for me is consistency of performance. Early in the season... They did win some games, but it always felt like they'd follow up a win with a stinker, with a game full of errors. Uh, And that's just not the case anymore. And that's reflected in this form. He's got... An embarrassment of attacking options, George. And excitingly, they're all playing pretty well currently. I mean, <laughs> Marcus Madison coming off the bench in midweek really does sum up the depth that they have. But it's the it's probably the base of the team that deserves credit as well. From Jilks in goal, a strong, settled back four, uh, Baptista and Ricardo Santos at the heart of it. And now a, a pretty settled double pivot in front of them, whether it's uh, MJ Williams and... Kieran Lee uh, or the young player George Thomason who's been very impressive and played in midweek. It's that base that allows these talented attacking players the chance to thrive, uh, and that's what they've been doing. So I, I would say, from a Barrow perspective, George, it's a bad time to play against the Trotters. Um, could you say that about Barrow in, in a in a in a desperate attempt to make a pun? I'm going to ask you: Are the wheels off or the wheels on at Barrow?
2: Ah, got it. Uh, wheels, wheels are on. <laughs> The wheels are on. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to tell you another story, Ali. It's been a while since I told you a story. Brilliant. Um, but this is the story of Rob Kelly, who is the Barrow caretaker manager. Because I think all um, analysis of Barrow at the moment stops with the man in charge. You look at the three bosses they've had this season. David Dunn has taken charge of 18 games. He won two of them, drew seven, lost nine, picked up 13 points. Michael Jolly, who's just been sacked, played se- had seven games in charge, won one, drew one, lost five, mm. got four points. I have a feeling his Wikipedia page may show an extra win in there, but he wasn't in charge of that game. Rob Kelly was the first game on, on Boxing Day. Rob Kelly, caretaker between Dunn and Jolly, and caretaker for the midweek win as well, played 4-1-3, drew no games, lost one, nine <laughs> points. So of the of the points the Barrow have got this season, the 26 points, Rob Kelly has picked up nine of them in charge in just four games. But anyway, let's go back to 2006 in order for everybody just to understand what Rob Kelly has done in the game, because he is a caretaker extraordinaire. He was made caretaker of Leicester City back in 2006 when they were in the championship relegation zone. They'd lost six games in a row and, and just picked up two points from their last 10 matches. He came in, won three games on the trot, only lost four of his 16 games in charge, <laughs> picked up 28 points, was awarded championship manager of the month in April when he was still just a caretaker and kept them up comfortably in 16th position. He was given the job on a full-time basis. So this is a guy who's managed in the championship before and was sacked during the next season after the Milan-Mandrich takeover when the club was in a state of uh, of flux, let's say. And he picked up 47 points in the next season, which alone would have been enough to keep them up. So what I am saying is basically that Leicester would never have won the Premier League if it wasn't for Rob Kelly <laughs> because they'd have been relegated to League One. He then moved on to Preston where he was assistant to Alan Irvine. They got Preston into the championship playoff final, the closest the Preston have ever come to getting back into the Premier League at many times of asking. When Irvine was sat the next season, in comes Rob Kelly, takes charge of one game against Colchester. They win 7-0. <laughs> <laughs>
1: what?
2: He then goes to Nottingham Forest for a bit where he's assistant and has a couple of caretaker spells before then going to work under Irvine again at West Bromwich Albion. Eventually, Irvine leaves the club caretaker caretaker kelly comes in fa cup game gateshead what's the score 7-0 <laughs> he then it goes to a, a relationship with Juve rosler starts initially at leeds where his assistant then he's his assistant at fleetwood the two of them take fleetwood to the highest ever finish they finish on in fourth in league one with a an 82 point haul which could in some uh editions of the league be enough to take you up then he moves on to Berry, where he's assistant to Ryan Lowe in that season, where P- Berry get promoted up into League One. But due to off-field issues, of course, never um, are never able to take part in it, and, and the club folds. But anybody who saw that Berry team knows how good they were. Then the most kind of remarkable chapter of Rob Kelly's coaching career is that he goes and links up again with his old boss, Rosler, at Swedish Giants Malmo. And at Malmo, he is taking... You know, he's in the dugout for a Europa League knockout tie against Chelsea over two legs, where they hold Chelsea just to a two-one defeat at home in a display where that won a lot of plaudits going, you know, running them pretty close in that game. The next season, last season, uh in the Europa League, they topped their group, they beat Dynamo Kiev, they beat Copenhagen. And only when Russell moved on to Düsseldorf did they did they move on halfway through last season. And then didn't really take charge of many games at Dusseldorf because of uh, of COVID and what happened. And then in the summer, turning up at Barrow. So He's the best this, manager in the league, isn't he? The, the, this is a guy who has assistant manager experience in League Two of, of overseeing one of the best teams we've seen in League Two in recent times. In League One, at a very, very good Fleetwood side. In Europe, in the Championship, his CV is is remarkable. And um, I guess what I'm saying is it's not a massive surprise to see that he might be a bit of an upgrade on David and Michael Jolly. What I will say is that he was very clear during that first caretaker spell that he didn't want the job. I'm not sure if what happened at Leicester has has meant he's pretty happy as an assistant, but I can see why Barrow would want him in charge. (laughs) And uh, and, and it kind of rings true that this guy might be a bit of a a step up in terms of managerial calibre
3: than maybe the two men that preceded him. Well, I very much enjoyed story time with with George Ellick. That's the show. (laughs) Hopefully, listener, you're feeling ready for a weekend of EFL action. I'm off to see what Paddy Power are offering for Bolton Barrow 7 uh, To review it all, Matt and the team will be back on Monday, of course. Thank you again to Matt Crooks for taking the time to speak with us. Head to our show notes to find out how you can support the Jordan Sinnott Foundation. Have a brilliant weekend. Thank you so much for listening and goodbye.
4: You've been listening to the Totally Football League show Extra Time, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at thetotallyshow on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics football podcasts on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual places, or listen ad free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football League Show is a Muddy News media production and sponsored by Paddy Power.
2: Finding it difficult to get off to sleep? Well, you are not alone.
0: After a long day of zoom, doom and gloom, it's hard to relax and just drop off. Maybe you need
2: a bedtime story. I know there's a lot of them out there. They ask you to imagine that you're laying on a lily of contentedness, drifting upon
0: a lake of calm, holding hands with the otter of placidity. Our one isn't like that. It's a football bedtime story. And it sounds like this.
5: When Brian Clough arrived at Nottingham Forest in
3: January 1975, they were a mediocre provincial club whose most recent success was winning the FA Cup in 1959.
2: But they were 13th in the old second division now. Clough, too,
0: was damaged goods. So give it a go tonight. Subscribe to Football Bedtime Stories on your favourite podcast provider. Now, The Athletic.